Hi, I'm Devin Coleman. It's August 20th. This is 508, a show about Worcester. I'm Michael Benedetti. This is Brendan Mellican. Morning. And here we have... Robert Matlock. I'm the campaign manager. Thanks for coming on the show. We need, more, we need, more, we need more guests with staff on the show. This is kind of cool. <laughs> the one's going to put a hit out of us if we uh, screw over the campaign. There you go. How are you doing? How are you doing, Brendan? I'm a little tired, but... Uh, so far, so good. I'm super tired. I like feel like I have not slept in about a month. This early morning taping thing, I think we might have to rethink after that. It's a beautiful day today. We had a storm yesterday, but today, Cook's Pond is looking nice and clean. Today, we're going to talk to Devin about running for city council. You're running for city council at large? Yes, I am. All right. Um, and uh, I want to ask you these questions. These are questions that we developed over the summer by talking to different guests, by talking to different people, by putting things up on Facebook, although we don't get a lot of feedback on Facebook email a lot more feedback um, and uh, actually we're gonna we're gonna revise these questions at the end of the month so if you have any feedback on the questions themselves email pie and coffee at gmail.com uh, otherwise here we go Devin what line of work are you in uh, I'm a student at Clark University actually right. I uh, am entering my senior year but my job that I have for the university as well as being a student is I manage the theater at Wood Hall um, oh, on really? campus which is nice yeah it's fun wonderful um, let me say, city departments, particularly the police department, have information that can help the public make good decisions about running the city. That information is hard to access, some would say impossible. What would you do to change that and otherwise, uh, what are your feelings on transparency? Um, sure, transparency is a huge, huge issue for me. Uh, the word is actually on the literature. It's one of the three big points that we like to talk about. Um, and I'm glad you brought up the police department. That's a, that's a good example of what you're talking about. Um, an another example is, any department when it comes to spending money, how the money was spent, that information is really, really hard to access. Mm. Um, to use an example from a, a personal story, talking to a, a gentleman who um, had heard that the city had applied for a snow removal certificate, which is true, um, but then he had also heard that we sent a representative to Spokane, Washington to uh, receive it. He was a little concerned because he didn't really see the benefit um, in spending that money to send somebody out to pick up a certificate that's really bringing nothing back to the city. Right. Um, there is like the mail, for example. So he, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, he, so he asked basically the city. He <laughs> sent a letter and he said, I would like you to disclose the expenditures uh, surrounding this, whether it happened or not. Mm. Um, and this is a seven-day legal limit for that after the seven days had passed they hadn't got back to him we're now three months later and he's still struggling to get that simple information they're now telling him that they're going to charge him for it um and so there's a problem around, there's and, a problem around transparency what is what is the uh yeah. so you said this is one of your campaign points what what, yeah. are, what are you gonna what do you want to do about it the solution for me is to first of all follow what everyone should be following to begin with which is disclose that information immediately, right. and don't worry about what letterhead it's going to end up on. Um, but then also when it comes down to committees, right, because you have, you have the city council meetings, which by and large are people saying either this is coming from committee, let's vote on it, or let's send it to committee, mm -hmm. or let's send it to the manager for you know, further analysis. Um, so what I would like to do is to make what goes on in those committee meetings more accessible to the public, um, so people can actually see what the decision-making process for that is. What, and do you then, mean, what do you mean make it more accessible? Um, I mean to put transcripts up on the website. I mean, okay. you know, possibly to film it. I know people are somewhat uncomfortable with that. I don't see the problem. It's a part of government. People elected, you mm. know, these representatives to do this job. They deserve to know how they're choosing to spend money and enact policy. Um, so, yeah, go as far as film it. And then, you know, maybe put it up along with the regular city council okay. uh, meetings. Also, I think integrating... New media is important. You know, if you look at 
what the city's doing, what the city council and the councillors are doing, um, even when it comes down to the campaign. There's a real lack of new media and connectivity. And uh, sort of the overarching theme of that is moving into the 21st century, we can't be stuck in the 20th century um, with accessibility with the constituency. Okay. Brendan Milligan, any? None. No feedback. <laughs> okay. What is local government's role in regulating the day-to-day -day lives of citizens, and is there a limit? I definitely think there's a limit. Okay. Um, I think the role is to make sure that they're doing everything they can to provide the services that the taxpayers are paying for. Um, they're doing it well, and they're being accessible when it comes to that. I think the limit is an overstretching involvement in business uh, in the community. And, you know, a great example of this is I've talked to a lot of small business owners and they've said it's been a nightmare to get started up, especially compared to other cities and towns in the Commonwealth. When you look at the bureaucratic red tape that it takes to start a small business, um, it's insane mm. compared to the other municipalities. Um, you know, one example that I find funny is that if you want a dumpster uh, behind your business, you need to go to the fire department, which makes sense to a certain extent because if there's a fire hazard, they need to know where it is. However... What I would like to do is to either, if we can't consolidate and centralize the process of starting a small business into one office that then answers to these other offices, what I'd like to do is come up with a handbook, put something up on the website that tells a small business owner exactly the steps they need to take to, to start a small business. Mm. And um, so, you know, that's just one example of uh, where I think the city's falling there is short some of and encouraging. Stuff. There is some of this stuff online, though, isn't there? There's, there's a little bit, but it's really not enough. If you, if you delve into it yeah. and, and you say, you know, you're a, you're a newcomer, first-time business owner, and you want to get started, the, uh, the hoops you have to jump through, it's very, very, very discouraging. Hmm. Um, it needs to probably be reviewed by somebody who's starting a small business to get feedback and yeah, say, exactly. this is where there's a lot of missing steps. Exactly, that, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, Maybe. Yeah, from a regulatory perspective, uh, who do you think should be actually managing the oversight for, uh, if we're going to streamline a process and say, yeah. you know, the fire department shouldn't be involved in dumpster placement or what have you? I mean, who, who should actually be handling that into, from a regulatory perspective? And how, how, how bre what, what do you think the, uh, the breadth of that, of that should actually be? Yeah, sure. Um, I, think, I think it should go through City Hall. I do. Um, because, you know, obviously that's the, the head bureaucracy in the city. Sure. They have all that information there. They have that, you know, accessible. And I think, you know, it, it's hard to say now how you would put that into action, me not being in office mm -hmm. um, at the moment. But, you know, going off of that, that's something that I would like to do when we get in is to look at all the little details of everything and say, you know, who's most appropriate to, to really take this on. Um, you know, it could, be, it could be code. It could be any number of the offices um, in, in City Hall. Moving on. To your health. <laughs> What's your personal vision for the city? My personal vision for the city is, is to have, is to have uh, you know, a safe city, first of all, I think. Um, a good downtown. You know, I'd like to see a thriving downtown. At the same time, not only an emphasis on downtown, but an emphasis on the neighborhoods. Because okay. we have... We have a, a, a town feel, I guess you could say, in the yeah. city. A lot of people say that. You know, it feels like a feels like a town. Everybody kind of knows each other. Yeah. Um, which is which is good and bad when you get into you know um, certain issues with the city government and sure. who knows who. But um, keeping that keeping that feeling, the okay. connectivity of the neighborhoods, the the congruency there, um, but then also providing 
a good location where people can go at night, feel safe, and, and have a good time. I think also um, retention of college students is big. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's fair to say we have a, a brain drain out of the 10 colleges and universities in the city. Yeah. Um, you know, they say either I'm going to go home or I'm going to go to Boston. Um, can you tell me one thing that you would do that would be that would be a different thing than it's being done now to uh, help retain those students? Yeah, I think I think the first step is to have the city really reach out to all the colleges and universities. You know, you have Clark University has a, a good relationship with the Maine South neighborhood. Um, you know, they they pay two hundred thousand dollars a year uh, through the pilot program. Right. They're helping to clean up University Park. Um, they have you know if you live within a radius of the school. Um, in that neighborhood, if you're admitted, you can attend for free. Right, right. You know, there are all these things. So, so taking that and encouraging other universities to do it from the city's point of view, and then also bringing in community organizations to the university campuses mm-hmm. um, and having them reach out to students so that while they're here during their four years or, you know, six, whatever they choose to do, um, that they can feel like they did something to help the community and they've seen a project grow. Um, you know, just to take an example from Clark, there's a thrift store right across the street from Clark in Maine South. Yes. You know, owned and run by students. Um, and, you know, I think you can bet they're probably going to stay in the city um, because they the, have... The students who have that experience being a part of that project. Say what? You're, you're saying that the students who have experience being part of the, the community thrift there yeah. are, are the kind of students who are going to become connected to the community yeah. and then stick around. Yeah, and I, I believe that, you know, and it doesn't have to be a thrift store or, you know, that type of connectivity, but More some... student-run businesses, though. That's an awesome idea. Nobody's ever said that. What's I, that? Kinda, I like this idea that there should be more student-run businesses. <laughs> I think there should be more <laughs> Worcester resident-run businesses um, than we have now, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but sure, you, you take that, you get students in school, if they can do it, you know what I mean? And that's yeah. for the market to decide right. if they can do it. But if they can do it, that is one step towards creating jobs, which is the direction we want to head in. We're retaining college students. You know, the level of education in the city goes up. That encourages other businesses to start and come in because they know they can hire an educated population. And, you know, it kickstarts everything that we want to see, but we're sort of on the edge of trying to figure out how we want to do that. One quick follow up, Mike. Uh, so, when you, uh, you you started talking about um, the sense of community and being very yeah. much like a neighborhood and what have you, and what ha- a neighborhood kind of or a small town kind of feel, mm-hmm. um, with that in mind, uh, so when people are always talking about Worcester uh, doesn't have is usually like the, the angle they go, like we, we need yeah. this, like Boston has this, that Providence has. Yeah. In your mind, since we kind of already have, uh, from your perspective, uh, like that small town feel. Is there anything wrong with Worcester just being like a bedroom community for, say, Boston, where everyone does get up in the morning and hops on the pike and drives to Boston? Or, like, should we always be chasing down whatever the things that we think in our minds are, are what make Providence a big city or no. Nashua a big city or Boston a big city? Yeah. Like, is it okay that we're not a big city, like, in, in terms of, you know, the exterior that, uh, that people, passerbys would see? I think it's okay that we're not a big city, but to, to clarify what I mean is that we shouldn't say... We want to be a Boston, we want to be a Providence, we want to be a Nashua. We want to be a Worcester, in my opinion. That's, that's different than all of those other cities. It's different than every other city in the country, you know. Um, we've had a great history here, um, and I think we have a great future here. And I, I don't want it to be a bedroom town mm-hmm. for Boston because, you know, to me the first thing that comes to mind is, okay, we got everybody who's here living here, but then they go to Boston to spend their money, they go to Boston to work, mm-hmm. And, you know, where, where's the homegrown, you know, Worcester first, 
Worcester jobs for Worcester people. Um, so I think, I think that we do need to focus on creating jobs and keeping people here. You know, and again, the first step to that is creating an environment in which businesses that hire from an educated population are going to come to the city. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we're in the transition now from an industrial economy to a service-based economy, which is why education is, you know, a huge, huge emphasis of mine. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, we can talk more about that later if you want me to touch on it now, but the University Park campus school model is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, they're doing great things over there. 90%, more than 90% of the graduates, um, you know, get into and attend college. Um, that's great. <laughs> I think we can see that all over the city. Um, and I think that that would be one of the first steps to see the change we want to see where we're not a Providence, we're not a Boston, we're a Worcester and people are happy to get up and go to work here because they can say Worcester is the only place that I can, mm -hmm. you know, fill in the blank. Yeah. Um, and I'd love to see that. And uh, I, think, uh, I think we can move that forward <laughs> coming soon. Back to you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> what is your view on the relationship between the council and the city manager? I think that, the, first of all, the city manager is a hired position. Right? Yes. It's not an elected position. Right. That's very, very important to remember. Yes. Um, we have uh, a weak mayor system um, in, you know, in which the mayor can advocate for issues. He can break a tie vote. He can go out and be, you know, the public face uh, of the city. He can relate to the to the state level government, um, which is great. But I think it's important to remember that the city councilors are the ones who are elected, and so there needs to be the the, the flow of 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 information needs to go city councilor, city manager, mm -hmm. and the flow of decision making needs to go city councilor, city manager, not city manager, city councilor. How do you see that flow going now? I see it going a lot, city manager, city councilor. Yeah. Um, and I don't blame the manager for that. Um, I think what it is is a, uh, a lack of initiative. Leadership. Leadership, Le on, the part leadership. Of the, on the part of the councilors to say, <clears throat> you know, first of all, thank you to the people who elected me. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to go out there and get the information and do the work, you know, and advocate. And for example, you know, for us, we've been out, we haven't had a day off on the campaign for the last month and a half. You know, we work 10, 12 hours a day on it, and, you know, six to eight of that is door-to-door -door right. every single day right. um, in all the neighborhoods that we can, and we're working through the city right now. And that's the type of work and that's the type of drive that I just expected to see in other city councilors. Hmm. And for me, it was sort of shocking to talk to people and, and you know, other councilors and comments and say, um, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not out campaigning yet. I don't go door-to-door -door anymore. You know, these are the people that vote for you. These are the people that donate to your campaign, and they expect you to pick up the phone, mm. and you're not going door to door to just ask them how things are going. So for me, that was a big shock. Um, you know, and my perception, like I said, was always that I'm going to continue doing this. You know, I'll go door to door when it's not an election year. <laughs> you know, we had talked mm. about that too. You know, after the first year, we're going to go and hit hit na hit neighborhoods and say, "How's things going?" I know I'm not up for re-election. I just wanted to come and say hi and check because that's my job. You you mm. elected me to do that. So. Um, so that's 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 a big issue uh, okay. for me. I wonder okay. if uh, part of the, the the incumbents not going door to door is they're like a sort of silent way of acknowledging that nothing has changed in the 20 years that they've been on the council. What like, are they, What are they going to say? <laughs> right, exactly. Like so, it's exactly the way it was when I got here 20 years ago. So what's the point of me going to strike up a new conversation? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's that going door to door doesn't win elections. <laughs> Even though everybody thinks it does, <laughs> maybe they know something. Maybe they know something. Um, yeah. Okay, this next one. This next one is one that needs... Oh, actually, 
It's too early for cynicism. I'm sorry. I won't try. Do you have any? Do you, do you, <laughs> could, could, could you speak very briefly about your position on neighborhood councils? Sure. I think, I think with, every, with every new idea, it's important to test it and vet it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really have a long answer on this one. So. All right. um, but I think it's important to test it and vet it. I think the bottom line is that we have a charter for the city, and that's that the city council is elected to, to do their job, to advocate for the city and the citizens and the people who elected them. Right. Um, you know, on the other side of that, going back to talking about the fact that here in Worcester we do have a town feel, we have a very, a very solid neighborhood base feeling. Yeah. Um, so representation from neighborhoods is, you know. So would you, if you were elected, would you support the idea of neighborhood councils? I can't say right now. I can't really? say. I think. I think I would. I would. I always support trying something. I always support testing something. Would you commit to voting in favor of the first neighborhood council that came in front of the city council? <laughs> <laughs> Next question. <laughs> they are in the charter too. The neighborhood yeah. councils. I mean, they're they're, yeah, we they're in the charter as a parallel to the CDCs. I mean, it's, it's yeah. that's I think one of the bigger complaints of the folks who are proponents of them is not so much that we haven't even tried them, but yeah, in but a way a, we're actually a, ignoring a major component of the CDC, charter yeah. that uh, you know we've, we've thrown a lot of resources and time and money at the CDCs, yeah. uh, who've done great work. Um, yeah, yeah, but there's have. also this other component uh, yeah. that folks I think are easy easy to dismiss. Not you, but no, like, no, in yeah. general are easy you know, to dismiss where there's a lot of potential power um, yeah. for the, the uh, on the neighborhood level yeah, that yeah, might yeah. just go ignored, which you know I think people uh, kind of like. Let's go back to that, actually, because this sort of fits in with, a, with another part of okay. the platform, and I just missed the connection when we were talking about it, um, is that we have sort of come up with an idea, and, and we're calling it we're calling it One Worcester right now. Okay. Um, you know, we'll see. You know, it's, it's not branded or anything. But, um, but uh, the idea of neighborhoods and neighborhood organizations that serve their community right now are very separated and don't really communicate all that well, mm-hmm. um, you know, through no fault of their own. It's just never been addressed. Um, same thing with, uh, you know, with a crime watch, a neighborhood watch. Um, you know, you can have streets that are, you know, three streets apart and these guys never meet. Right, they have um, separate organizations. Of that. And separate. So to go back, I'll answer <laughs> yes. I would, vote in, I would vote in favor of the first neighborhood council. Awesome. <laughs> um, this next one is a long question. Okay. It's a multi-part question, and you can sort of take it the direction you want to take it, I guess. Where should the city draw the line in taking responsibility for development? Where should the city draw the line when selling off existing assets? How should the city be making its money, and what's the correct tax rate for Worcester homeowners? Okay, so the first part of the question is development, and to speak a little bit on that, I would say, you know, we have City Square, we have the CSX project. Um, it's creating jobs, but to talk a little bit about City Square, Right. We have two businesses that are signed on. We have Unum and we have the St. Vincent's uh, Cancer Research Facility. Yes. Okay. Um, the Cancer Research Facility is a $22 million project. Uh, the city's providing a TIF for $9.7 million mm-hmm. for that, um, which is fine. Right. But I am afraid that what we're going to see with City Square is a trend in which we give TIFs to everybody. Right. Because the purpose of a TIF, the way I see it, is to, to, to subsidize... A business so that they can actually exist and then that business is going to create foot traffic that then encourages more businesses to sign up. You're helping prime the pump. So yeah exactly. Um, it's not a long-term solution to the problem of an underdeveloped downtown. Right. right. So the fear that I have is that if we continue to give tips to businesses to get them to come downtown mm-hmm. we will be paying off businesses to exist downtown. Yes. Right. And that's not sustainable because if they're not going to be there without the TIF then they're not going to be there when the TIF runs out. Right. And we're going to see exactly what happened with the Galleria. You know, different reasons, but we're going to see a massive... 
Exodus. you know, exodus out of the city of these businesses uh, when the tiffs run out. And that's a huge, huge danger looking forward. Mm. Um, so to answer the question, I guess, the city's role in development is to create an environment in which businesses will come in and incentivize that business growth, not okay. to pay off businesses to exist. Not to do things on like a case-by-case basis so much. Right. Okay. Right. Um, let me just ask the other the other. I don't know. If, if, I don't know if there's one part. Do you, do you want? Do, do you want to follow up on this? No, this is like a too many questions. I yeah, feel like I mean, we need to keep moving. That's a, um, <laughs> just to keep track of, right? I mean, let's, let's not let's not hurt anybody. That's <laughs> what? It's a big, it's a, let's not hurt anybody. It's a big question. Like, you should just go through all the parts of it. And you want to keep going? Yeah. Well, on that one question, though. All right. There's some other other all right. parts to it. Um, all right. I'm to, I'm just going to stop five minutes before the end of the show and ask the dumb questions, just to make sure the dumb questions get in there. Those are important as well. They yeah. are important. Where should the city draw the line when selling off existing assets? I think that what the city needs to do is realize, first of all, who you're selling it to um, and what long-term payout there's going to be. So for me, one of my big complaints about the city council is that what we see is a lot of quick fixes, mm-hmm. not a lot of long-term planning. I think okay. we can have a long-term plan that works in the present and works in the future you know, just as well. So as far as selling off assets, I think that it's important to delve into the long-term benefits of doing that. So if you have an old mill building that's not being used and you can't get a developer to come in you know, and, um, and buy it at market price, right. but you know that it would be beneficial to have people renting and living in that area and that there would be a demand for it too, you know, with say, you know, because I know what a lot of cities do, they'll, they'll have sort of an artist district, you mm. know, and they have loft housing and they come in and, and, it, and it gives a sense of culture to the area. They start a coffee shop, they start a gallery, you know, and that's a right. sort of a get the ball rolling right. thing. So, so for me, that's, that's where it comes down to with, um, with selling things is what's the long term. You know, if you have to sell it a little bit below market price, but you're going to be putting people in that community that are going to benefit that community, go for it. Is this an acceptable answer? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But can I just point out too for the viewers that there's not somebody getting murdered behind Mike. There's actually like a road race going on back oh. there. So it's oh, if you hear screaming really? and whatnot, like biking. There's right. a five k of, of sorts, but oh. there seems to be a lot of uh, cheering on as people pass each other in the roadway. So there's, <laughs> there's not somebody getting bludgeoned right behind. I had no, I had no idea. You did think there was somebody. I had no bludgeoned. idea. Yeah. How should the city be? How should the city be making its money? I think the city should be making its money through. You know, it all comes back to those basics of incentivizing business growth that we've had such a hard time with. Yes. Um, so I think you create the environment in which businesses come in, you expand the tax base, you make more money, mm-hmm. um, and, and potentially, you know, potentially in the very, very long term, be able to lower taxes um, in the short term and the mid-range term, um, you know, halt the, the raising of taxes. Mm. Um, so so that's, that's, the issue. that's the issue for me, is incentivizing those businesses to come in, expand the tax base, lift the burden from every individual, um, but bring in more money for the services, you know, that are necessary for the city. I think also, you know, this isn't really making money, but this is, this is finding ways to start new projects without draining the city budget is grants, right? Um, We don't have a grant writer uh, for the city. Mm. So there's a lot of money just sitting out there that we're not taking advantage of. You know, and if you're going to pay a grant writer a salary for one position and they're going to be bringing in millions and millions of dollars a year in grants for new projects that do bring the city into the 21st century, I'm all for that. Okay. Um, and I think that's essential. I think that's what we need to do moving forward. What is, what is the correct tax rate for Worcester homeowners? And I, I put it this way because I feel like yeah. people always debate on what the tax rate should be. And I don't see anybody sort of coming from like 
whatever, first principles. The answer mm-hmm. is always lower or higher than it is. I never know yeah. how people, and I want people to show their work. Okay, sure. Um, that's, that's hard for me to answer because, you know, the first time I'll be able to vote on a tax rate is actually two years from now. Okay. Um, so when it comes down to the vote, I, you know, I've said right now, and I think this is true, um, I am in favor of the lowest residential tax rate, but I've said, always said, with the caveat that we invest in ways to incentivize businesses to come to the city. Right, right. Because, because the argument because, against it... Because a low it. residential tax rate implies that businesses are carrying more of the load. Right, which there's... Which, which, is, which, is, a very, which is a strong disincentive to some businesses to locate in the city. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, but, you Especially know... Large well, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, at the same time, if you don't have people in the city, you don't have anybody to work in those businesses anyway. You know, and I've talked to a lot, a lot of people who have lived there their whole life, and they say, you know, when I retire, I can't afford to live here anymore. I'm leaving. Hmm. You know, water, sewage, tax rate. Hmm. Um, so for me right now in this situation, we need to retain those people. Um, and we need to, to keep them happy and keep them spending money in the economy, right? So if your taxes are lower, you spend a little more money in the economy. That goes to the businesses and helps offset that burden. Um, now, that's not to say what, that that's what we need five, ten years down the road. For me right now, I've committed to that for only the first vote. Okay. Um, because I believe that we need to keep people here and keep them spending money. Um, I like this. I like how we've been able to put a couple of these things in terms of the first vote that you take. This yeah. is interesting because it's true because people because people go on record as saying this or that is a simple answer and then people just rake them over the coals later whenever. Yeah, I don't know. I'm all about the caveats. And for, I'm sure the campaign manager over your shoulder is smiling too. I mean, it also makes a hell of a lot of sense because people aren't going to vote for you unless they're pretty confident that you're going to give them the lowest residential tax rate at least that first time around. For right? one vote. Sure, you won't even get through the door as a, a conversation when you're out knocking if you don't at least throw that out there. There so you go. Um, it does make sense. I'm not taking a, I'm not taking a swing at you there. No, I mean, no, no. Seriously, no. that's unfortunately one of those things I'm sure everybody who's given you advice has said that you got to stick with the lowest residential tax rate. How you get there, you know, uh, with your own logic is up to you. But yeah. the unfortunate reality of this, there isn't a lot of tolerance with the residential base to think outside of the box when it comes to uh, their tax levy. Have you, have you seen The Wire? Have you heard the good news about The Wire? I, I, oh, you know what? I saw this on the other interview, and I said, i got to watch that. First of all, because it looks good. Yeah. Second of all, because I thought I might be asked a question. I haven't seen it. Did you know that it's... Is it the party that's in charge of Reykjavik or all of Iceland? Maybe it's just Reykjavik. I thought it was Iceland. I thought, no. The political, part, right. yeah. it's the political party that is, that, that is now in power party. in Reykjavik, mm-hmm. one of the planks of their platform, they're a relatively new party, and one of the planks of their platform is that they will, they will collaborate with members of other parties only if they've seen all five seasons of The Wire. <laughs> this is why we bring this up. This anyway. is an actual, you know, it's yeah. still a nation, right? I mean, that's hard times for Iceland uh, over the last couple of years, but it's yeah. still an actual yeah. country. I feel like you might want to. I want to. I want to just be, be, because it's important. Because if we ever, had, if you do get elected, and, and and the folks in Reykjavik ever say, "Hey, we'd love to set up a sister city program with Worcester," you're going to have to. You know, let me take a couple of days, and I'll get back. You're going to have to watch, watch all five seasons before that can happen. Yeah. I got. I got. I got, so here's so here's something that I got for you. This is just just to dumb down the show temporarily because you didn't okay. have an answer about the wire. Is that one thing I've been getting a lot of emails about is candidates, the way they dress, you know, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Maybe because I wear a tie on television, people think this is important to me. One of my favorite secondary characters on The Wire is the Deacon. Mm-hmm. And one of the distinctive things about the Deacon, besides the fact that we are not aware of him doing anything illegal or immoral, mm-hmm. is that he always wears single-breasted peak lapel suits, which are a sort of an older style and a very formal style of suit, which you almost never see or can buy. 
being worn today by city council candidate Devin Coleman. It's incredible. No, I love a good suit. I do. I good do. job. I really like this. This is a nice look. This is a nice look for the woods today. Moving forward, you, if anyone asks you about the wire now, you can totally lie and say the deacon, of course. I mean, oh, yeah. Because we got a similar yeah, sense address, of style. That's why I <laughs> um, uh, How much can you bench press? How much can I bench press? Jeez, it's been a while. I think maybe one or two... Of 150, maybe. Wait a second. What do you mean one or two? Uh, one or two yeah, reps. Yeah, one or we're two talking reps, about one yeah. rep max. Yeah. Oh, one think rep you max? Do I don't know. 170 maybe? Really? Yeah, on a good day. All it's right. been a while since I've been to the yeah, gym. But, you know, the city, the city, this is what I was saying to somebody else. The city is now my gym uh, yeah. <laughs> because um, we walk, you know, miles a day. And uh, it's good. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta just every time you cross the street, you gotta just drop do twenty push-ups. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. keep that keep the workout balanced. Why is he always out of place? Sponsored by the folks at CrossFit for the yeah. campaign. There you yeah. go. There yeah. You go. All right. Well, we're almost out of time, guys. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much. Is there anything? If, if maybe you could give me a thirty-second answer on what are you excited about going on in the city of Worcester this week? Uh, I'm very, very excited about the Latin Festival. We're actually going there. Uh, you know, that already happened when this is airing. Yeah. Well, they're, they're you know, the Latin today. Festival went great. Uh, <laughs> it was a really good time. Uh, but what I'm, what I really enjoy about the city is, is the whole thing. Is that you can go online, you can call somebody, you can call, you know, and say what's going on, and just go and do it. There's, there's some cultural going on, you know, downtown. They have the concert series behind City Hall, which I've, you know, been fortunate enough to catch a few times. Yeah. Um, that's a great time. But um, just these cultural events, I think, that give flavor to the city. Art in the Park, we were there. You know, these little things that people miss. And I know that throughout the episode, I've talked about the things that are that are wrong with the city um, and those are the issues that have inspired me to run and you know bring accountable leadership and transparency to the city but at the same time that cultural flavor you know Shrewsbury Street Art in the Park the concert series uh, movies behind City Hall and the Common that's all great stuff um, and I love it and, and I love Worcester and uh, that's why I'm planning to stay here for uh, the rest of my life <laughs> Rock and roll thanks for being on the show no problem